Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Midweeks. We are in 1 Kings 17, and we're going to meet Elijah. Now, a huge transition is happening in this book. We call this the Book of Kings because it is the Book of Kings. And there's 1 Kings and 2 Kings. It's really one continuous story. But and this is how I understand it. There was only so much you could you know, space on a scroll when you're writing with old ancient technology of vellum, which is kind of leather that they would write on. And so instead of just making bigger and bigger and bigger scrolls so that they're so big you could hardly carry them, they would break up books into two. And that's how you have first and second and stuff like that. The books are too big, and so they they break them up. Um, And so the book of Kings, which is broken up into first Kings and second Kings, is one continuous story about the kingdom of Israel after the time of David. But right in the center of this extended story that takes, the, oh, takes place over centuries and generations, you have the lives of these two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And the story just slows down. And instead of sometimes having entire lifetimes in a chapter, um, you end up with chapters of one life or chapters of two generations, essentially. Now, there's lots of themes in here that correspond to it. The Book of Kings is obviously about generations. Uh, What happens when the faith goes from David to Solomon? What happens when the faith goes from Solomon to Rehoboam? It's about the transition of faith from one father to the son. And you have that here with Elijah and Elisha, where it's not a physical sonship, but it is a spiritual sonship, and you have the transition of faith. And the amazing thing here that's different than with the kingdom, which usually with the kingdom you have either um, one bad king going into the next bad king, or you'll have like a good king going into a bad king. Sometimes you'll have a bad king going into a good king. That's rare, and it only happens in the kingdom of Judah. But here you actually have Elisha getting a double portion of prophetic power from Elijah. And so you actually have a progress of strength from one generation to the next. And so really there's a few things going on here. Um, there's this testimony from the Lord that even when there's bad kings, God can raise up prophets who will rule through God's word, even in the midst of bad kings ruling through the fleshly power. And what we have here is this constant theme throughout all of scriptures that God reigns by his word. We meet God in Genesis 1. He's creating through the power of his word. Genesis uh, 3 and 4, God is ruling and punishing through his word. And God establishes kings through his prophetic word. And he even will dominate over kingdoms through his prophetic word. And this is what we have here. And sometimes Elijah and Elisha are known as the miracle working prophets. There are many prophets that... Um, are writing prophets and they just speak and God kind of works through providence um, through their speech here but these two prophets are particularly known for working miracles and so they remind us of Moses a bit more than other prophets Moses was a miracle working prophet he worked these great signs over Egypt and not every prophet works a ton of great miracles I don't think Samuel worked a ton of miracles he was a judging prophet he spoke God's word and he judged but he didn't like run around raising the dead and stuff like that but these are great sign working and miracle working prophets right at the center of this book and I may have mentioned this before it kind of forms a chiastic pattern 
Achaism uh, is named after the Greek word for uh, key, which is like an X shape. And when something, the key, like intersects in the middle. And often in Hebrew uh, stories, something really important will be happening right at the middle of it. So for us, our stories often have like the best part saved for the end, the climax. When Hebrew people tell stories, often the pivotal part is right in the center of the story. So there's progression towards the center, and then there's regression from the center. And here at the center of this story, we have God ruling through his prophets in a story about uh, the kingdom going badly through the kings. You have God ruling through his prophets. So that's the sign here. That's one of the main stories of this entire book is that even when culture and kingdoms go wrong, God reigns through his word and God raises up his uh, spirit-filled, spirit-led prophets to be his spokespersons in the midst of bad times. So with that extended introduction and my screen just went into quiet mode again, so I'm going to have to, there we go, got it back. Um, let's get to the story. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, who is the king of the northern kingdom, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord was with him, came to him, Depart from here, and turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith in, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. All right, so again, you have this theme of God reigning through his prophets. He goes to a bad king and he declares that uh, despite whatever economic policies Ahab's going to have, um, God is going to press pause on dew or rain. There's going to be a drought, which is going to lead to a famine in the land. Because God is in control. It's still his land, even when kings don't worship him right. And then the king tells him to kind of go hide. Because very likely, we'll see in the next chapter that Ahab hunts for uh, Elijah. He doesn't like humble himself under the Lord. Instead, he hunts for Elijah. So God tells uh, Elijah to go hide. Um, and there is a connection here because Elijah does say, except by my word, so I'm going to be the one to uh, stop this drought. And so anybody might think, well, I'm just going to capture Elijah and I'm going to make him say the drought's over. You know, and God's going to have to live, listen to him. But instead, God tells him to go and hide. And in the, you can just see God's sovereign control over the land here. He can control dew and rain and stop it. And he can also control ravens who go and scavenge and bring food for Elijah to eat in the morning. So he's, and, and this is weird. It's, it's almost like a kind of a, uh, kind of a manna thing. Uh, when Israel was walking in the desert, God provided for them with manna from heaven. And so it's not quite that miraculous, but God is turning Israel into a desert. And his faithful one, Elijah, he is providing for uh, kind of semi from heaven with the birds that bring him bread and meat to eat. And so 
very interesting. And then you can see in chapter 7 when it says the brook dried up because there's no rain in the land. This gives us a sense of the progression of time as well as the fulfillment of his word. It doesn't just say, and it was fulfilled. It's like, no, we follow Elijah into hiding, and then he can only stay there as long as there's water flowing. And over time, Elijah notices that the water gets less and less and less until it all dries up. And Elijah's just waiting there, praying, talking to the Lord, surviving. And then once the water has dried up, he gets his next set of instructions from the Lord. Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow to feed you, there to feed you. And he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterwards make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Let's finish this off. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her son and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. This is a great story. So Israel is under this drought, and so is this land of Sidon. So it's not just hitting Israel. Uh, Sidon is an, uh, another country. It is a uh, competitive country. It's a pagan country. And God sends Elijah out of there. So maybe this reminds us a little bit of David. David going into hiding from Saul during Saul's raging years, where David is seeking safety in pagan country and so Elijah is sent to a pagan country for his own safety um, and so he goes there and when he arrives there he runs into this widow who's given up on life she's essentially just going to eat their last food and die which might even remind us a little bit of Hagar uh, leaving Abraham yeah, with uh, Ishmael back in the day and they get to the place where they run out of water and so they're just you know in despair going okay she hides the boy and we're both going to die here <clears throat> and this is when God shows up. And it's, a, it's cool because it's a mutual blessing, right? Elijah isn't just getting uh, food for himself. The widow is going to provide him food, but God's going to give her unlimited resources in order to provide for her, uh, for the prophet. And so he says, you know, make me some food. It's really funny in one sense because he's a very demanding guest, right? You know, hey, can I have some water? Sure. Oh, yeah. And can you feed me? Uh, okay, but you know, this was going to be our last meal. Yeah, 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 that's fine. Just, you know, you're going to be fine, but just make sure you feed me. Like, <laughs> it's actually a really funny miracle that uh, you would think that, you know, I would think in a very human way to have, to feel like you're just about to eat your last meal and then have a guest show up and demand to eat it. Y there could be some offense there and could be some feeling of overwhelm. Uh, and yet she believes him and God does this wonderful creative miracle. So we're moving from this miracle of providence, reigning over the rain and reigning over the birds, to now a miracle of uh, a really powerful creative miracle where um, he, God is going to give an unlimited replication of the flour and the oil to make food here. 
So again, not quite as creative as manna from heaven, just just the spontaneous production of food, but getting there. And so they ate, eat for many days according to the word of the Lord. And again, this is a theme that we're going to hear throughout this, I think, is that that we're trying to get trained here. God is faithful to his word. God's word is power. When God says there isn't going to be any rain and it's the word of the Lord, it happens. And when God says go and ask a widow for food and she's never going to run out of the supplies to feed you, it happens. And this kind of reminds me of even, you know, when Jesus went into the boat with his disciples and said, let's go to the other side. And then the storm comes and everyone's panicking and he rebukes them for panicking in the midst of a storm that's going to kill them. It's like I said, we're going to the other side. Like, why are you panicking? This was the word of the Lord. You're going to the other side. And, I, you know, I, I feel challenged by this. I, I'm, I'm a creature in the world and can feel anxious and nervous about circumstance. But in God's head, if he said it, he'll do it. And this is what Elijah is performing here for this widow. God said, you're never going to run out of food. And they didn't. It happened according to the word of the, of the Lord. Verse 17, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe there was no breath left in him, so he died. So this is very interesting. God doesn't just send him to a family. He sends uh, God, God's presence. This is what Elijah is. He's really God's presence in, in the midst of judgment, comes to a widow, and is going to take care of her. And so Elijah is in one sense. I don't think there's anything untoward going on here, but he becomes the house husband, and he becomes the source of provision for this this widow, but she's still the mistress of the house, and so he's a guest. But God has come to be her provider in this midst here, and she's not an Israelite. Jesus makes this point in the Gospel of Luke and really offends the Israelites of his day, but he points out that she isn't an Israelite, but God's mercy um, extends to this Gentile woman and her son. Now, I think she must be some kind of believer because she does talk about the Lord your God, and so she's got some kind of faith in the Lord, but... Um, She's a Gentile, and so this story really is a story of mission and the expansion of God's kingdom into the Gentile territory, and even foreshadows the, the gospel in the first century, how when the Jewish people <coughs> of Jesus' and Paul's day doesn't, don't accept the gospel, don't accept Christ, the gospel does go to the Gentiles around Israel, and they believe. And so this one is like a foretaste of that, because Israel is not in faith of the Lord. They don't believe the good news of, of Yahweh. And that's why this punishments come upon them. And so the presence of God leaves Israel in Elijah and goes to a Gentile. And she does believe. And she's provided for with food. But, of course, her faith doesn't mean nothing bad happens here. And so her son becomes ill. And it, this is very human. This is very much like the church. We believe in Jesus and we're under blessing. But bad stuff happens still. <coughs> Excuse me, that we can need to seek the Lord about. Verse 18, and she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Again, so she's she's an interesting case because she doesn't, she knows she's a sinner. She knows that things aren't right. And she knows that sometimes the presence of God brings judgment because God comes and uh, and deals with sin. And this is what ha is happening in the entire nation of the northern kingdom of Israel is that God's presence uh, the fact that that's his country means that there's, there's, their sin has been brought to remembrance. And that's why this famine is happening. And she, she um, sees this calamity 
she assumes she's under judgment um, maybe she has some kind of guilty conscience but she 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 feels like God's presence with her has brought this about verse 19 and he said to her give me your son and he took him from her arms and carried him up to the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed and he cried to the Lord O Lord my God have you brought calamity upon even upon this woman with whom I sojourned by killing her son so Elijah here has a very bold prayer um, he he takes the boy and brings him to his presence and so I'm not even sure if this is supposed to be read this way but it's almost like Elijah is the presence of the Lord right now and he brings the boy to the Holy of Holies to his inner lodging place this is where the the prophet of God dwells and so he brings the boy there and then he asks the Lord like are you is this meant to be a judgment like you've sent me here and why have you brought this calamity on her and he doesn't he, you know he noticed he doesn't even say by letting this happen he says by killing her son so there's an elevated sense of God's intention in what happens in history and on a response with like really bold prayer hey are you are you trying to say I'm here to kill your son if not do something God is this kind of the sense Verse 21, then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. Again, so like applying his physical touch to this dead body three times. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your in your mouth is truth. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, again, a very interesting exchange here. The Lord isn't affronted by Elijah saying, Hey, what are you doing here? Um, Elijah spreads his presence, and I, I think meaning, again, this, this idea of carrying his faith, carrying the presence of God to this boy. God hears his prayer. I love it how it says he listened to the voice of Elijah. So Elijah's been listening to the voice of God, and now God is listening to the voice of Elijah. And the boy's revived. And then Elijah brings the son back down to the woman. And this chapter ends with this awesome confession. I love it, where she says, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is truth. And again, this theme during this time is will you believe the word of the Lord and so she she's been living on a miracle for a long time but you can actually be eating miracle flour and miracle oil and still have some unbelief in your heart and so this calamity happens and she just feels so rejected by God so condemned by God so attacked by God did you come here to get my hopes up and then dash them we can be like that can't you like oh man I hope God doesn't bless me because if I start feeling like he loves me and then something bad happens then it's just gonna make it worse than if it's just bad all the time like don't get your hopes up and so she had this she got this sense of being loved and blessed by the Lord and then this big calamity happened and she's like did you just show up did you, were you just was this a, a trap was this a trap and so Elijah says no it's not a trap he goes and prays for the boy the boy comes back and then she has this awesome confession now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is truth and this is really what God wants from from all people but from his people to just like confess that God has spoken God has spoken and this is interesting. Like, I like that, that phrase, now I know. That reminds me of when Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac 
on the mountain and the Lord comes to Abraham through the angel and says, hey, now I know that, that, that you aren't going to withhold things from me. Now I know that you believe in my word. That's what he says. You know, there's something like where God knows what's going on in people's heart. But when action and faith are totally unified, then the Lord said about Abraham, now I know that you really believe me. And here's this woman. She's a bit double-hearted. And she, her reaction to her son dying, totally understandable. It's like, ah, what happened here? And so she sees Elijah deal with this problem that cannot be dealt with, dealt with in human terms. The boy's dead, and he performs this this resurrection miracle. And then the woman says, wow, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. And again, so, and then even pulling back here, you know, Israel under Ahab does not know that Elijah is a man of God and does not know that the word of the Lord is in his mouth. It's, it's an unbelief. It doesn't respect the word of the Lord from Moses in the law. It's got false worship, false idols. It doesn't really believe that the Lord is totally unique amongst the gods and deserves complete and uh, uh, exclusive loyalty. But this widow in the area of Sidon, she has now come to true saving faith. She, she's a, she is a, a worshiper. I don't, I don't, it might be too much to say like now she's a Christian kind of thing, but that widow is in heaven, you know what I mean? And that widow is our sister in Christ because uh, through God's testimony, through Elijah, she came to a saving faith. For sure, for sure, for sure. That's why it's written here. Now I know that you are the man of God. She's like, I know who the real God is, and I know where the word of the Lord comes from, and she, she con she's converted to true saving faith in Israel. So for us as Christians, you know, like it's so good to see God's faithfulness in action in the world, knowing that we can be like that widow. If we're just broken and we know we're empty, we can come and God will take care of us. He loves the broken. He loves the empty. He loves to take care of us. Um, we can look away from circumstances and look for God to not have to play by the rules. He's providing for this woman by miracle in the midst of famine. But we can also hear the whole point of this story for everybody who hears it is like, come and believe in God's word. Come and believe that Elijah was the man of God. Come believe that Jesus was the true man of God and that everything Jesus said is, is the truth. And let's live in faith in the God of creation and the Bible. And amen.